And so I learned, while researching this book, that James Buchanan was a man of great contradictions, an experienced diplomat and legislator who became an execrable chief executive, a lifelong bachelor and probable homosexual who used federal troops to enforce traditional marriage, and, in summation, a fascinating subject for a biography. Before I sign your first editions of my book, James Buchanan, An American Life, I'll take a few questions. Yes? So, Dr. Nair, if James Buchanan was such a lousy president, why didn't Congress impeach him? The idea was discussed, but Congress decided not to pursue it in the face of overwhelming evidence. Overwhelming evidence that he was not guilty? (laughs) No, overwhelming evidence that he was guilty. But they argued about whether to accuse him of corruption, treason, or obstruction of justice. Are there any more questions? Coming to you from Chicago, Illinois, DB Comedy presents The Electables, presidential sketch comedy and history for people who can't afford Hamilton. Today's episode, President 15, James Buchanan. For those of you that are returning to DB Comedy Presents the Electables, welcome back. For those of you that are new, this is a hybrid, a mashup of sketch comedy about the presidents and discussions with people who know things about presidents. History, if you will. We hope you enjoy, we hope you do some digging, and we hope to keep hearing from more new friends. Enjoy. We have a special guest. I'm Paul Finkelman. I'm a historian, and I am currently the president of Gratz College in Greater Philadelphia, which is celebrating its 125th anniversary this year. I know a lot of, uh, periodically, they do ask historians to rank the presidents, yeah. and uh, they, sort of, they, they usually publish like the results. Do you keep uh, your ranking list somewhere in a, in a back pocket in case someone asks you who, who's the best president or the worst president? Well, I can tell you who the best three presidents are. Oh, yeah, let's hear it. And that's easy. Uh, chronologically, it's Washington, Lincoln, Franklin, Roosevelt. And, you know, and then who's, who's, who's your bottom three? Buchanan and, and Johnson, I think, hold the bottom two spots. Andrew Johnson. Andrew Johnson. Yeah. After that, I think most people think Franklin Pierce, which is certainly a good bet. He's he is as incompetent as Buchanan, and I mean Pierce completely screws up the issue of, of Kansas, Kansas State, mm-hmm. slavery in Kansas again by being the Dofus. What um, what is what is the point on your list where the presidents are no longer just like not good at their job, but are actively bad at it? I call that the Nixon point. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it, I also kind of make a distinction between presidents since World War II and presidents from World War II back, because I think the presidency has changed, the nature of leadership has changed. And the other thing, of course, is when we deal with presidents, what are we measuring, right? So if my measure is, how bad is your presidency? And the question is, well, how long did it take to? For us to recover from your catastrophe, 
then I would say we haven't recovered from the Civil War. We haven't recovered from Reconstruction. And therefore, they have number one and number two at the bottom locked down. It took us a very long time to recover from the Great Depression and Hoover's disastrous mistakes. Uh, the other way to look at it would be how much pain did Americans suffer because of your stupidity and your, and your terrible behavior? And again, civil war, you know, 650,000 people, if you count Confederates as Americans, killed. Vast destruction, vast post-traumatic stress syndrome for a whole generation of people, women and men, on both sides of the world. Reconstruction, disasters for, for recently freed slaves. The Great Depression, a absolute disaster, harming poor people, whites, blacks, immigrants, everybody's harmed except the very rich who come out of it fine. Then if you look at somebody like Nixon, how do you deal with him? I mean, on one hand, he signed the Clean Water Act, he signed the Clean Air Act. He was the first president to implement affirmative action. He was the first president to mandate affirmative action to begin to change the nature of the economics of race in the United States. On the other hand, there's Watergate. He promised to get out of Vietnam and instead you know, we had another 20,000 people. On the other hand, Nixon, ends the stupidity of not recognizing that China exists. I, I mean, I'm no lover of Richard Nixon, right? You know? <laughs> and he is a man who came as close as possible to destroying the American democracy. So far, his... until now. Until <laughs> now. It's always hard as a historian, it's always hard to comment on current events. And yes, we have another president who I think has made it clear he does not believe in democracy. Yeah. Do you think the Civil War would have been, it wasn't inevitable? I mean, no matter, I mean, the trigger was Lincoln's election. The South was determined, bound and determined to leave regardless. And I don't know that the tensions were something that could have been resolved Right, right, and and, and 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 Sandra, that, that that's that's a that's a fair um, that's a fair point, and I and as as a as a teacher or as a scholar, I could make the argument that the road to the Civil War began in 1619, or the road to the Civil War began in 1661 when the Virginia Legislature passes the first laws to create slavery in America. And that once you're on that road, that's the road to the Civil War. But inevitability assumes that there are no turnoffs on the road. There are no possible changes. What, so so here's, here's one plausible explanation, one plausible outcome. Buchanan is not the dunderhead he is. He doesn't destroy the Democratic Party. Other possibility is, is that Buchanan manages to hold it all together and 
10 years later, there's a civil war. But that's not Buchanan's fault. Buchanan does one thing after another to make Lincoln's election plausible and to make the uh, and, and to antagonize the North. Do you think that impacted his decision to not take action at at the point of secession, or do you think that's totally unrelated? Or a third answer? I shouldn't give you options. Apologies for that. <laughs> No, you can give me options. Um, Would you agree that he should give you options? <laughs> yeah, you agree? Let's vote on it. Let's vote on it. <laughs> so what, you, what's, what's the question of these options? My, my question is really, do you think that that failure would have influenced his decision to not take action in no. response to secession? Not at I, all. I think he does not take action against secession because I think he probably is either so sympathetic to his southern friends that he doesn't mind secession or alternatively he doesn't have the physiology of a vertebrate to do something about it that is he lacks a black a backbone in case you didn't take first year biology uh and um he um he does nothing i you know he, he's he's it's just a disaster he just you know curls up in his probably curls up in a fetal position in, in, the, in the White House and does nothing. The White House, 1857. Gentlemen, you each petitioned me to discuss your causes, but I've already committed to serving just one term, so in order to save time, I'll be holding these meetings simultaneously. Uh, now, why don't you each introduce yourselves and state your case? Uh, I am William Scott Lowell from the New England Anti-Slavery Society, and I find it ridiculous that you won't even give this issue your undivided attention for one mere meeting. I had to park the carriage in the Georgetown yard for this, for God's sake. Well, I don't mind it. His ass. And who are you? I've been sent by the glorious government of Utah to ask that you kindly keep your federal troops off our land, you idolatrous heathen. Please and thank you. What's your name, boy? I'm Brigham Young's son. Get him. Get him young. Okay. Uh, Lowell, slavery, young polygamy. Got it. <clears throat> Let me start by saying that this peculiar institution is inhuman, cruel, and intolerable to the government of these United States. Amen, Mr. President. Even if it means bloodshed, we shall strike it from the face of this continent. Well spoken, sir. If we don't once and for all end polygamy right away, it will be too late. Friggin' sweet, bro. Wait, what? Polygamy? What about slavery? Slavery is staying. Well, people love it. But this polygamy thing, that's some pure evil right there. How dare you judge us? You can't understand our culture. You don't even have one wife. Give it take William Rufus King. This is a farce. You're letting Southerners make up your mind for you. Lowell, I don't have the power to stop this. People will practice whatever traditions they want. There's nothing I can do about that. Thank you. Not you, Mormon. I'll see to it that no man in the Utah Territory has more than one wife and one very close male roommate. Sir, you've been using your power to influence the situation since you wrote Justice Greer to change his decision in the Dred Scott. Case. That's different. It doesn't count as intervention if you're doubling down on the status quo. Sir, these people are forced into horrific lives of back-breaking work. 
Exactly, Lowell. Nobody has it worse in this country than Mormon wives. That's why I plan to march federal troops straight into Salt Lake City, punk. You'd send troops to stop a few religious nuts? I resent that. Not to stop these crazed southerners hell-bent on secession? There are dangerous militias in the Utah Territory, Mr. Lowell. There are dangerous militias all over the South, Mr. President. If they're so dangerous, then why do I keep sending them guns? Mr. Buchanan, sir, you can't destroy our way of life. We rely on that labor. Wait, are the Mormons practicing slavery? No, sir. I meant women going into labor. Children are Utah's main export. You must have some wicked big families out there. Not really. I'm one of 35 or so. Jesus. How many kids do you have? I'm 15 years old, sir. So just four. Yeah. You see, Lowell, this is why we need to step in. This situation is a ticking time bomb. If one of those men dies out there, who will take care of all these women? Who takes the kids? Who takes the kids when families are broken up by the slave trade? I don't know. The highest bidder. Lay off it, Lowell. <laughs> Lay off it. I bet your father's wives are saying that all the time. Huh? Get him? Huh? See what I did there? Get That's him? it. Huh? You may be elected by man, but my father was elected by God to lead his chosen people to a lake you can't drink from in the middle of a desert. We'll fight your troops even to the death. I know God has a plan for me. And I also know God has a planet for me. I hope he wasn't serious. I'm not sure I could stand seeing brother fighting brother. Or brother husband, for that matter. Buchanan went to college. Buchanan was a practicing lawyer. Buchanan went to Dickinson College. I, so I once gave a talk at Dickinson College, and the night before the talk, there was a reception for me, and they asked me if I'd speak a little, you know, sort of the, this, this. And I started by saying, uh, it's daunting to be here speaking at Dickinson College, which has the... Um, which has the unique history of producing both our worst president and our worst chief justice, because Tawny also went to Apparently they were, were like furious at me, <laughs> reminding them of their, of their two great alums. Um, well, that, was, that was the Dred Scott judge, correct? That's the Dred Scott judge. And of course, Buchanan is... Seared. Buchanan's behavior in Dred Scott is not appropriate. So the word is he was, I don't know if lobbying is the right word? So what happens is this. Dred Scott is argued in December 1855, and the court has to decide the case by the end of May 1856. And instead, the court says, we're not going to decide it, we want to hear it. So they set it up for re-argument for December 1856, which is after the 1856 presidential election. Buchanan wins the election. The court hears arguments in December. The biggest question in American politics at the moment is the legality of slavery in the territories, the admission of Kansas as a slave state or a free state. And Dred Scott challenges whether in fact Congress can ban slavery. 
So Buchanan is busy writing his inaugural address, and he writes to his friend on the Supreme Court, John Catherine, who was a Supreme Court justice from Tennessee, a slaveholder, but a kind of moderate on these issues. And Catherine will actually support the Lincoln administration during the Civil War. So he writes to John Catherine and he says, um, What's, what are you guys going to decide in Dred Scott? I need to know because I'm writing my inaugural address. Catherine tells him, we're going to declare that the Missouri Compromise was unconstitutional, that Congress does not have the power to end slavery in the territories, and therefore Dred Scott remains a slave. And then Catherine says, but we've got a problem because that's going to get five votes, but they're all Southerners, and there are going to be two dissents from McLean and Curtis. Curtis is from Massachusetts and Queens from Ohio. There's going to be two dissents. It's going to be five to two, and then there's going to be a separate opinion by Nelson of New York that Greer of Pennsylvania is going to sign on to. Simply says that Dred Scott remains a slave because Missouri has the right to decide whether people are slaves or free in Missouri, and therefore, end of case. So Catherine says... Could you put some pressure on Greer, who's from Pennsylvania, to side with us? And so what Buchanan does is write a letter to Greer and ask him to sign on to Tawney's opinion. That way it won't just be Southerners. But Tawney is then able to say, I got six votes, including Justice Greer in Pennsylvania. And then what Buchanan does on his inaugural, in his inaugural address he gets up before the people. He's about to be sworn in, right? But first he gives his address and he's going to be sworn in. He leans over and he says something to Chief Justice Tawney. Now, Tawney and Buchanan have known each other forever. They've known each other for a good 25 years or more. And they're both graduates of Dickinson College. I sometimes joke maybe they sang the Dickinson fight song at, at this moment, right? Enslave, enslave, enslave. <laughs> then Buchanan gets up and gives his speech. And he says that the issue of slavery in the territories has been debated in our country. But this is not a political question. It's a judicial question. And then he says, whatever the outcome of this case, I will endorse it. Uh. I will go along with it. I will support it, whatever the outcome is. This is the only time in history that I know where a, Supreme, where a president in advance of a Supreme Court decision says he's going to support it no matter how it turns out. But that's because he knows how it's going to be. All right, slaves, it's time to go. We've had some good times in the North, but I've been called back to the land of cotton where good times are not forgotten, so pack on up and it's back to Louisiana. Sounds fine, Dr. Emerson. Have fun right if you get work. Dred Scott, pack up your things. You're coming with me. Thank you for that kind offer, but I will have to decline. I'm staying here. Great Scott, what's the meaning of this? You can just call me Dred. Great Scott was my father. Listen here. I'll have none of this chicanery. You are coming with me to Louisiana. I am your master. You know, you keep saying that. I do? You do. I do. So what? I am. Uh, are you? You, I am. 
Are you? I am. If you're my master, that would make me... You're a slave, Dred Scott. I bought you fair and square. Hmm. Where are we right now? Uh, Fort Snelling, Wisconsin? Wisconsin, right. Uh, which is a free territory? Yes, because of that blasted Missouri Compromise. So, if it's a free territory, that means you can't have slaves, right? That's the case. So, if we're in one, hypothetically, that would mean I couldn't be your slave. But you are my slave. But you can't have a slave in a free territory. Right. Where we are. For now. Where slaves aren't. Your point? Yeah, I have to do what you say because I am a slave. That's the gist of the arrangement, yes. And when I go back to Louisiana with you, I'm going to be a slave in a slave state. That's right. Now, come on. Uh... Nah, I'm going to stay. I am ordering you to come with me now. Because I am a slave? Yes, damn it. But you can't practice slavery in Wisconsin, so you can't order me. When we get back to Louisiana, I can damn well tell you to do whatever I want. In Louisiana? Sure, sure. No one's arguing. If we were in Louisiana, you could order me to go up to Wisconsin, and I could say, oh, no, please, but I'd go up all begrudgingly. That's right. Uh, so I think I'll stay here where I'm my own property. Unless you ask my wife, uh, wife, am I right? <laughs> Hi there. I'm President-elect James Buchanan. I couldn't help but overhearing you have a problem. This man here is claiming just because he's in a free state, he gets to automatically be free. What? How do you figure? You're the president-elect, and you don't know how the Missouri Compromise works? For the sake of my support in the South, let's just say I don't. I can take care of this. I just happen to have Chief Justice of the Supreme Court Roger Tanney with me. Well, that's handy. Isn't it? Hey, Roger, can you weigh in? Mm, oh, oh, yes. Um, the Constitution never intended for black people to be citizens... So you can practice slavery in free states all you want. Technically. Bully. Come on, Scott. To Louisiana we go. <sighs> White people. Great work, Roger. How can we protect states' rights when some states insist on having different rights? This will definitely put the final nail in the coffin of that whole abolition business. Oh, James Buchanan, you've saved the day again. I'm still wondering if the, his legacy, as it were, is really an act of omission for just like not doing anything about the uh, slavery issue or, or commission. Did he actively do something that really led us towards okay. the inevitable split? All right. Yeah. The, both. the president has no power to end slavery in the States. The president and even Congress would have only had the power to limit slavery in the Western territories. And if it wanted to end slavery in the District of Columbia, which it does during the Civil War, but they would have to do as they did in the Civil War, pay owners for taking their property from them, because that's what the Constitution says. You can't take private property without just compensation. Okay. So, so you can't blame, I don't blame Buchanan for not ending slavery. That's not on the table. That's not under discussion. I mean, again, people sometimes say, why didn't the founders end slavery? The Constitution? That's not on the table. It's not a question of ending slavery. It's a question of what do you, how do you deal with it? What do you do with it? And so right. here's so what- So my question was not why didn't he end it? 
it was, I want to yeah. restate the question, is that he didn't, so the sectoral split was really, really hot. It was even more divisive than we are currently right now. Right. Um, and he did nothing to unite the country. Or, 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 he did I, nothing I, 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 to I, appease yeah. that. Buchanan does two things. One is he does not heal any sectional split. That is, he does nothing to bring the North and the South together. Man, what the hell's going on here, George? I get home from the Orioles game and I get a call to come here. Uh, you're getting time and a half, Jimmy. It's damn near midnight. I got a call from the governor's office and we gotta take this statue down. Now? I just work for the state of Maryland. And that sweet double time. Why do you get double time and I only get time uh, and a half? Seniority, you'll get yours if you put in the time. All right, all right. Let's just get this done. Freedom of speech! Freedom of speech! Now, who the speech. hell is Freedom that? Freedom of speech! Probably just some homeless guy. You leave this here statue of the great Chief Justice Roger Brooke Taney in its place! A protester? This statue is a historical site, and taking it down is a violation of the freedom of speech of the United States of America. And I will die here to protect both... Son of a... Can you please step away, sir? We are here on behalf of the state of Maryland. The state of Maryland needs to respect its history by leaving the statue alone. The state of Maryland has statues all over the place, sir. You can find another one to protest around. Not when history is being erased right before our very eyes. You've seen what they're doing in Charleston with all those heritage statues, don't you? Heritage? Oh, Lord. It is unfair and criminal that the heroes of the War of Northern Aggression are getting struck down because some snowflakes can't handle the truth. And it is a matter of life and death. The War of Northern Aggression? Do not get into a debate with this You're talking about the Civil War. Oh, I see. You've been brainwashed by those fancy Northern public schools. Jimmy, quiet. First, I went to Catholic school. Double time, double time, double time, double time. Justice Taney, whoever. Time. He was from Maryland. And he was the wise justice who ruled most righteously on allowing states to rule for themselves in the great Dred Scott decision. Dred? Hold it. With the support of then-President James Buchanan, who foolishly thought it would stop the War of Northern Aggression, but knew right from wrong, and allowed it to become law not two days after the president took the oath of office, and kept Dred Scott a slave in the name of states' rights. Hallelujah, Justice Taney and President Buchanan! Oh, boy. That Dred Scott. We were taught that Dred Scott was one of the worst Supreme Court decisions in American history. Uh, we knew those damn priests were nothing but fornicating liars! I was taught by nuns. You leave this statue in a place so you run over me like they did with that guy who saw the tanks in China. Son, you are all over the place. No more erasing American history. Solidarity with my Charlottesville soldiers. Now I see why we were called in late. You're, you are just sharp as a tack, aren't you? My brothers are on their way! Stopping for some mosquito fluid for their tiki Do torches. Do not disrespect the Did tiki you torches! get your hood? I was gonna wear it tomorrow. So you're here to hold a space for your buddies so you can do a mini Charlottesville here in Baltimore to save a statue of a guy who wrote the Dred Scott decision? Do I got that right? <gasps> who told you our plan? What is wrong Jimmy, with Jimmy, shush! You... I don't know where your buddies are, but all I know is they aren't here, are they? They, they? they said they were going down to get some crab cakes. And how long ago was that? When I got here, about 
Four or five this afternoon. They're not coming back, son. They see the news. They know these statues are being taken down all over the place. They're probably organizing to figure out what to do or something. They left you here. They left me out here to die. I highly doubt that. I will be a martyr for the cause. Go home, son. The governor decided he was going to take this statue down, not destroy it, just to store it somewhere, because we don't want that kind of trouble in Maryland. You do whatever you do with your buddies elsewhere. Protest tomorrow or whatever. But it's damn near midnight, and me and my apprentice have families to go to. But what about... Quiet. Sorry. Go home and come back here in the morning. Let's do our job. Fine. I'm hungry anyway, but we will be back! The South shall rise again. Don't mock me. Get the gear out, Jimmy. We will be back to defend the heritage of Chief Justice Roger Taney and the Dred Scott case. You watch. You watch real close. Jimmy, you gotta not engage with folks like that. Where'd you learn to defuse situations like that? Raised four kids and watched enough news to know jackasses like that want to clown on TV over racial bullshit like this guy Tanny here. And the president at the time thought it was a good decision. Buchanan! That asshole all but wrote the damn decision himself from what I read on the internet before I got here. Look at you, researching before getting into your crane. Uh, History Channel and Google. Another reason I make double time for overtime and you make time and a half. Reading pays. Get the chains and let's get this damn thing out of here. You know, we, we again. One of the things we've been under we've been learning as we've been writing and doing these shows are again these shifting roles of history. And there's one big one with Buchanan that we have not mentioned at all. And yeah, I I, I can what's guess coming. what's coming. <laughs> so let me. What Buchanan said. <laughs> <laughs> and I get it, it's. It, I don't want to go into the whole cheap psychology aspect of. Buchanan's sexuality or alleged or whatever it may or may not have been. But I guess a question of openness, because when we talk about Jefferson and Sally Hemings, one of the things we discovered was that that the, the existence of Sally Hemings was much more open and, and was just much more known than during Jefferson's time than in some ways we were sort of led to believe so maybe the question would be if that you know if the question was if people thought he was quote-unquote gay or not how known was it in dc and would it have mattered yes yeah, so, so let so let me turn to buchanan so so buchanan is our only bachelor president every other president was either married or in the case of uh, Martin Van Buren and Andrew Jackson, a widower. That is, they had had, they had been married. They were no longer married because their wives had died. Uh, John Tyler famously marries while he's in the White House, um, as does Grover Cleveland. Um, and so, Woodrow Wilson. 
and withdrawals. Yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, um, Buchanan is the only one not to ever have been married, nor is there any evidence that there are any women in his life. That is to say, that, uh, the, the closest thing we get is that he was in love with some young woman when he was a very young man and it didn't happen and he was brokenhearted. I think that's utter nonsense. I, I mean, I, I don't think the evidence is there for that. Uh, well, there's the, uh, uh, there's Anne Caroline Coleman, who he was uh, affianced to before she died. Before uh, she broke the engagement and then she died. Yes, yeah, and but 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 here's the point. This is an age when the expectation is that people get married. The expectation is that people that that men get married. Women, by the way, don't have to get married. It's always okay to be a spinster, especially if you have elderly parents to take care of. Uh, it's always okay to be a spinster because, uh, and you help your sister raise her kids. There are lots of people like that. But, but, but for somebody like Buchanan who comes from a upper middle class family and becomes himself upper class, wealthy, prosperous, famous, He's a great catch. There would have there would have been women lining up to marry him in an age when marriage is often a function of economics as much as it is a function of uh, a function a function of affection and love. No hint that Buchanan has any interest in women or women have any interest in Buchanan. There is a famous letter where Buchanan shows up at an event in the 1840s and somebody writes in a letter that I was at this event and Nancy Buchanan and wife showed up. Now, Nancy, of course, is a is the term for somebody gay, a Nancy boy. And so what he's saying is Nancy Buchanan and wife, which is the Southern senator who he was a longtime roommate. William Rufus King, yeah. Yeah. I think that in all likelihood, if Buchanan was sexual, and it's also entirely possible that he's completely asexual and he doesn't have sex with anybody, that if he was sexual, it was with men. Um, now, to use the term gay is, is um, historically not very correct because the whole notion of being gay, in fact, the whole notion of being homosexual, to use that term, is not something that really comes along until much later in the century. That is, there's laws against male same-sex relations. There are not always laws against female same-sex relations. But by and large, as long as it's with consenting adults, and as long as it's not done openly or notoriously, nobody much cares. And, and so lots of people function perfectly well in America. People understood, for instance, if the poet Walt Whitman had same-sex relations. You know, nobody's arresting him. It's not like England where they go after you. 
and, and put you in jail. So um, to follow up on that, was Buchanan being mocked for his, for his perceived sexual differences, perceived sexual oddity, or for being effeminate and kind of dandyish? Well, again, effeminate and dandyish is a... Is a is yeah, I mean, in, in 1819, uh, like, dandies were kind of the height of fashion. Yeah, it's almost a projection. We're projecting our world on theirs. Yeah, but they're the ones who called him Aunt Nancy. Aunt Nancy, because so everybody knows he's in the closed world of Washington politics. Everybody knows that James Buchanan is Aunt Nancy. Nancy Buchanan and wife showed up at the party. He's having same-sex relations. They may snicker at it. They may laugh at it. But it doesn't affect his ability to be. It is not, say, of political vulnerability. It's not a way he could be blackmailed or anything like that. No, no. I mean, hmm. um, well, apparently there was also a, an unsubstantiated rumor that he was having an affair with uh, James K. Polk's wife, a widow. Yeah, which would seem highly unlikely. The other thing, of course, is is that personal space and personal privacy is very different in the 19th century in antebellum America than it is today. If you are traveling in a, in a stagecoach from one town to the other and you stop at an inn and the inn has one bedroom with two beds, then two men rent a bedroom and they each get a separate bed. But if another stagecoach comes and they have two more men, then they join these other men in the beds. There's nothing tawdry about this. This isn't considered sexual. This is simply a bed to sleep in. And, and that's part of the world of the 19th century. There are some colonial prosecutions for same-sex relations. The ones that are serious usually involve an adult man and a minor I hope this meeting is brief. I've got engagements to announce, debutantes to admire, and gossip to share. A classy, sophisticated society column like moi's don't write itself. Hi, Mrs. Glib. Hi for whiskey wagon load and merry tales to spin for the humor page about the humble Irish folk I knew as a wee lad in the village of Chiffaud. Chiffaud, that's uh, County Ogden Avenue, isn't it? Hi, Pierce Pierce. Writing about the dirty politics of Chicago has made you a bitter and cynical man. I am a true son of Erin, as sure as my name's Mickey Malarkey. And as sure as your birth certificate says, Joe Plotz. Look lively, gang. Here comes the big boss. Oh, um, oh well, good, good morning. Good, good morning, morning, Mr. Greenlee. Good morning, underlings. As founder and publisher of the Chicago Tribunal, I have summoned you, our most prominent writers, as well as one of our most negligible copyboys. Thanks, Mr. Greedley. Because I hope that this newspaper can atone for the shabby way it has treated President James Buchanan. Why, Mr. Greedley, ain't all our rival papers castigating Mr. Buchanan as the worst president in history? Indeed, Mrs. Glibb. Must we echo them? But isn't it our duty as journalists to tell the truth as surely as if we were confessing our sins before the Lord? Windily put, Malarkey. But correct. 
And our coverage of the current chief executive has been insufficiently truthful. But, Mr. Greedley, we're a Republican paper. We're not just a Republican paper, Bierce. We're the most prominent Republican paper in America. And the only one, considering the party was founded three years ago. But I concede your point. And as such, we cannot merely reprint all the same tired attacks on James Buchanan that were trite when Henry Clay was belittling him in the Senate. Aye, when Clay asked Democratic leaders to speak, Buchanan stood and Clay said, I called for the Leaders. If as many people voted for Clay as chortled over his jests, he'd have been elected president three times instead of losing as often. That incident occurred in the 1830s, malarkey. Since then, Buchanan has failed the Secretary of State, cheated to win an election, and interfered with the Supreme Court. But the press merely publishes the same cliché cartoons of Buchanan as a prune-faced old crone. We shall not leave this office until we've conjured a fresh insult for James Buchanan. And when we do, that copy boy over there shall take it straight to the press room for our next edition. Aye, aye, sir. Mm. Ah, I've got it. In my column, I shall demand suffrage so that I might vote against James Buchanan. How inflammatory, Mrs. Glebb. It's perfect. As I recall, dear departed President Pauk described Buchanan as an old maid. Let's call him old something else. I have it. If you paid ten cents for James Buchanan, he'd get a nickel back. Let's call him old Nickelback. His head and heart are empty vessels, just like Jaws. He's old Jar Jar. Perhaps I can share a recipe in my column. Um, stir a whole bunch of spoiled fruit into a batch of insipid dough, bake it, and call it a James Buchanan. He's... Old fruitcake. James Buchanan, the slave to the slaveholders who gives sucker to southern sympathizers. King James the worst. James Buchanan, um, the rutted grump in leather pumps. James Buchanan, the homosexual. <gasps> what? What? You'd lend us in a pile of shit. I mean, shite, young, uh... Mean, Danny Mead. Uh, no one would believe such an outlandish rumor. Not even about an effeminate bachelor in his 60s whose fiance killed herself rather than be married to him? Listen, kid. <clears throat> I mean, listen, lad. He can say a man's a fool, a murderer, a son of the devil himself, but a homosexual? <laughs> That's beyond the bounds of decency. Why, back in Chiffoge, puffers were more despised than the hated Brits. Yes. We can accuse him of committing treason and claim First Amendment protection, but we'll be sued for libel if we accuse him of sodomy. So we must resort to innuendo. Innuendo? Ah, like James Buchanan does, apparently. Oh, I can spread rumors about men entering Buchanan's <coughs> rear chambers. Oh, I liken him to the fairies I knew in Ireland. Yeah, by way of the uh, Levy District... I'll uh, insinuate that Buchanan plays queen to his bosom companion, Senator King. And I'll send Mr. Buchanan a naked portrait of myself so the tribunal can print his letter of thanks. What a filthy, low-down, underhanded trick. I think you have a future in this business, son. When Pa died, Ma said a lad as wicked as me wasn't fit to be anything but a rent boy or a newspaper man. And the whorehouse wasn't hiring. Go down, young man. And now, let's fire the Buchanan! <laughs>
Patrick, do you have a Buchanan question? Popping into the chat here. Buchanan's official uh, National Portrait Gallery portrait by uh, by George Healy, uh, where he kind of looks like Tintin. Um, <laughs> would, would you say that J- James Buchanan has the worst presidential hair, or is there <laughs> one that you would uh, rank higher? <laughs> Well, all I the mean, all the smart questions have been asked. I'm sorry. Oh guys. no, I, I'm, I uh, you got to check out Martin Van Buren. That's that's true. And and by the way, by the way, I I do think that while as a historian, I cannot make a comment on somebody who is in the process of being president, because you know, quite frankly, we don't know how long it will take us to recover from. From, from his behavior, his presidency. Um, you know, we may look on, you know, it may be that historians in the future will say, well, you know, he destroyed the United States, or they may say he was a, uh, he was a bad blip and things got better after, we don't know. But I think I can say as a, as a, um, I guess, sartorial a, expert. A, a sartorial critic or an art critic that that certainly uh, the triple comb over uh, um, of the phony dyed blonde hair um, is certainly as grotesque as anything Buchanan or Van Buren could have come up with. That's true. I I guess I would also ask, uh, I've always been of the opinion that uh, Zachary Taylor in his official photographs uh, looks like Andrew Jackson if he melted. Uh, yeah, Andrew be... Jackson, what? If he melted. <laughs> um, we are going to call it a day. Am, aren't I getting paid by the hour here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're getting paid the same rate that we are. Yeah. Paul Finkelman, Rocks College, thank you so much for spending some time with us. And I've, we've very much enjoyed it. I think that we're going to have a very special episode in the future where you and Sylvia say terrible things about Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, if you, could, if you can just institute a policy where all the history students at Gratz College have to listen to our podcast, that would help us Absolutely. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> DB Comedy presents The Electables. This episode's sketches were written and produced by Gina Bucola, Sandy Bankowski, Joseph Fedorko, Sylvia Mann, Paul Moulton, Patrick J. Riley, and Tommy Spears. This episode's sketches were performed by Sandy Bankowski, Brad Davidson, Joseph Fedorko, Paul Moulton, Patrick J. Riley, Tommy Spears, and Louise Thomas. This episode's historian, Dr. Paul Finkelman. Original music written and performed by Throop McClure. Audio production by Joseph Fedorko. Sound effects procured at freesound.org. The Electables concept was created by Patrick J. Riley. Contributions to DB Comedy are graciously accepted by going to the DB Comedy donation page at fracturedatlas.org, the nonprofit fiscal sponsor of DB Comedy. Donations are tax deductible to the fullest extent allowed by law. For more information on DB Comedy and the Electables, visit DB Comedy's website, dbcomedy.com, or DB Comedy's host page on simplecast.com. Follow us on Facebook at DB Comedy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Don't forget to like.